You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Conference Room, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths, our Mike Chappell taking the week off, but you can always follow his work online on Twitter at mchappell 51 or on fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Just find it over on the sports page, the Colts section. There's plenty of it from Mike as to what's going down with the horseshoe. And specifically this week, it's a win-in-your-in scenario. Colts beat the Jaguars, and you make it into the playoffs. But it is a matchup in Jacksonville, and that has not been the kindest location uh, for the horseshoes in recent years. We'll preview this game with an injury update. We'll break down our keys to the game. We'll make predictions, uh, starting with the news around uh, the Horseshoe headquarters this week and uh, a little bit more Colts and COVID-19 news as safety Andrew Sandejo, who had been the starting safety alongside Kari Willis when they're both healthy, was placed on the COVID-19 list Thursday. Joe, we were just talking about this. Sandejo was finally practicing again from a concussion he got like two weeks ago. We were optimistic he could finally get back in the lineup this week. But boy, it doesn't look like that's going to happen with this uh, with him landing on the COVID list. Yeah, he missed the past two games, and he had been playing pretty decent for somebody they just scooped up uh, midseason when Blackman went down. And I know George Odom has been playing pretty admirably uh, in his you know, place, but there's a reason Sendejo was starting over Odom in the first place, and there's a reason they went out and got Sendejo. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to get back and recover from both the COVID and his concussion in time for a knock-on-wood playoff game the next week. I'll say this, that Kari Willis has played pretty well since his return. I know he had some ups and downs uh, early in the season before he really got that, uh, the big injury. It seemed like he had turned the corner, I think, before the, what was it, a knee and ankle for him? I forget exactly what it was. It was one of those, yeah, it was a leg injury somewhere. But uh, he had turned things around, but then when you come back, you just you just never know. And I, I haven't looked down and saw Kari Willis chasing anybody, you know, from uh, 20 yards downfield in the secondary or, or anything. So so he's been pretty solid. I think George Odom's been pretty solid. He had a great game in Buffalo against the Bills with the interception. And uh, I think he had one or two other big plays, splash plays in that game, too. Yeah, and I know he defended a nice pass there against Arizona where he kind of dove in yeah, and yeah. the way. So he's had some nice plays, but um, hopefully he can continue stepping up and rising his level of play this week against Jacksonville. On Wednesday, the Colts activated long snapper Luke Rhodes from the COVID-19 list. The Pro Bowl selection this year was uh, out last week in that Raiders loss. Uh, Joe, you mentioned, uh, you and you list here very rightfully so, that punt coverage against the Raiders was not good in Rhodes' absence. And I don't know if that you can completely attribute that to, to the snapper, but I, it might be something because now Rigoberto Sanchez is catching the ball and it's not exactly the same as it was in the past. He's trying to fiddle with it here and there to try to get it right and punt it. And we were saying up in the press box during this game that every punt and kickoff was like right down the middle. And you never see that from Rigo. They're always angled to the sideline. So there was a hitch in the giddy-up somewhere in that operation. Whether it was the snapper, uh, the snaps looked good to me, to be honest. Like uh, So props to, um, and then I completely forget the guy's name. Who I was forget it. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. He's a veteran. Respect, yeah. Re- respect to the guy whose name I've already forgotten. So, <laughs> but, but like nothing looked bad in the snaps on either the punts or the field goals. But if they come back and it's just not in the same position when Rigo catches it, 
then just that just changes things up. So, I mean, I, I would say in that scenario, like he's got to be a professional, you know, at that point, he's got to be able to turn it and kick it too. So I'm not trying to place blame on a snapper on Rigo on anyone. Cause I don't know exactly what the deal was. Just continuity. You know, yeah. you get a new center in there and the quarterback's not quite used to how that center snaps the ball. Right. And, you know, I think Luke Rhodes is a leader on special teams. I know Zaire yeah. Franklin does a lot as well, mm -hmm. but it certainly didn't help for him to be missing. So hopefully uh, special teams can turn things around this weekend because they've been really good most of the year. And that was really kind of the first time that we've seen return men uh, really take advantage of some weaker punt coverage. And Luke has made one or two special teams tackles this season, and he's downed one or two punts as well. So he's one of the first people down there always. And if you bring in a long snapper, I think, to, to replace your pro bowler, you're not telling him as much to go down in coverage. I mean, you're just like, focus on snapping the ball. Get the ball in the right place. That's your job. Anything else is gravy after that, but you need to be 100% focused on getting the ball back to the punter or back to the holder, who in the Colts case happens to be the punter in Rigo. So, um, so, so that's, I'm sure there was part of a reason for that. Absolutely. But I can't place, like I said, exactly what, what happened to have Hunter Renfro with uh, 64 yards returning on three punt returns. He is a good punt returner, too. Don't forget He's good. that. He's yeah. a good player. Also that. Also, those guys are paid. So uh, Hunter had a heck of a game. Uh, it was, was just, it just killed him. Uh, both then and at other times. Um, more Colts news. The Jacksonville Jaguars, their opponent this weekend, did reach out to Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus to have a talk about their head coach opening. That's a little bit of a conflict of interest, you would think, right now, Joe. Just, Since just they're playing bit. the last week of the season. And, uh, and Flus and head coach Frank Reich and GM Chris Ballard all came together and uh, recognized that together. And so they all agreed and, and told the Jaguars, hey, you, you can interview Flus, uh, or Flus will be available for an interview. Flus went back and told them, hey, I'll, I'll talk to you, but not until after this Week 18 game. Um, and, th and that's wise, completely wise. I mean, it, it's, it, it's hard to imagine any team in that scenario. This is not just a Colts or a Jaguars thing because they've had trouble there recently. This is not just even a divisional opponent thing. This could be anybody on any team. Like, if you're playing another opponent that wants to interview one of your coaches, you can't do that. So what do you like to do on defense? Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> what's your philosophy, main philosophy here? Which I'm sure film like, could tell them something about that, but and, it's and just... Yeah, honestly, like, it might not make that much of a difference because you're probably, if you're if you're Eberflus or any of their coaching uh, candidates, you're going to be in an interview with the GM and with the owner probably, or maybe one or two other people that are pretty high up. You're, you're not going to be in an interview necessarily with the Jaguars head, interim head coach or their offensive or defensive coordinator. You're, so the, the information needs to be passed on really from the big wigs to to that group so you can say that maybe it wouldn't have all that much of a, a much of a difference in the grand scheme of things but a it's a bad look for you if you go and do it and then you lose you just get raked over the coals and and, and b it could have an, some kind of impact so Flusel will interview with the jaguars after the jaguars game is done and i kind of feel like i know some things can get a little weird timing wise when teams get deep into the playoffs you know the super bowl is not till mid-february and the draft is in April. Teams got to prepare, but I think you can at least wait until the end of the regular season for coaching interviews to start. I mean, Flus has a mission. He's got to get these guys ready because there's a lot on the line Sunday. I agree. Completely agree. Uh, it's a good point. Um, Eberflus is in his fourth season as Colts defensive coordinator. If you remember, Joe, and everyone out there listening, uh, Eberflus was already signed on as defensive coordinator before Frank Reich took this job. That was a Chris Ballard signing uh, with uh, he sh who should not be named uh, when he uh, he spurned the Colts back in uh, 2018, I believe it was, February, January, whenever that was, of 2018. 
uh, and uh, and Frank, and then Frank, who was with the Eagles at the time, of course, was not taking interviews because the Eagles were on a Super Bowl run right then. And uh, a fortuitous turn of events, I think, for Colts fans to uh, to have everything go down the way it did. Eberflus stayed on because that's a Chris Ballard signing. Basically, he liked the way Chris uh, that Eberflus thinks about defense. Their strategies are very Ron Marinelli based, the old Chicago Bears schemes. Um, and so Flew stayed on. Frank came on, was kind of saddled with him, was like, you take him. And it's a marriage that's worked for sure here. They they're, they get along just fine. Um, yeah, and if yeah. I remember correctly, I think Bubba was already as special teams coach, too. I don't think he was. Like, somebody asked Frank, I think, about that this year, and Frank said no. But oh, no. Yeah, I think it might have been someone else. But but I like I thought I remembered that, too. I, I really did when somebody thought, asked that yeah, question. I thought the special like, teams and defense was in right. place before Frank. I, and I agree. I, I thought so, too. But Frank says that he interviewed Bubba Ventrone and he went to Chris Ballard about about Ventrone. So okay. maybe it was somebody else. But but I agree with you. Like, I, I remember distinctly there being somebody else. Um, so I don't know. I don't remember exactly how that either way. Down. Coach Colts have a great coaching staff right? that I'm very happy. with. Right. I, I, I would I would agree for sure. Um, let's see. The Jaguars have also talked with uh, Jim Caldwell, former Colts head coach. I'd love to see Caldwell get another shot. All he did was lead the Lions to nine wins, and then he gets fired. I would love to see him get another shot, but I hope it's not with Jacksonville because I think he's a good coach. Yeah, right? Then you have to actually play him twice a year, and the Colts have enough trouble with Jacksonville, at least one of the two games every year, without Caldwell, without a good head coach. Also talked to former Eagles Super Bowl-winning head coach Doug Peterson and Bucks defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, who had a chance a couple years ago with the Jets, but uh, that didn't pan out there in New York. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's where the Jaguars are at right now with their coaching search. Uh, they're going to put Eberflus off until uh, after this final week of the season. More AFC South news. The Tennessee Titans designated running back Derrick Henry to return from injured reserve. So he's out there at practice. Uh, Joe, I'm following some uh, some members of the Tennessee media, Nashville media, and they're all tweeting out pictures of Derrick Henry and uh, all these uh, videos of Derrick Henry and sound bites from Derrick Henry. Folks in Nashville are obviously very, very happy to see uh, Derrick Henry back on the field. And the Colts, I mean, even though you're not playing the Titans anymore this season, well, you could see them in the postseason. So this could be a very uh, poignant return for Henry, uh, even when it comes to uh, Colts fans' perspective. Yeah, I think he's still like six and rushing in the NFL or something crazy like that. Yep. Uh, definitely still top ten. I mean, this guy was the leading MVP candidate before he went down. I mean, all the hype Jonathan Taylor has gotten since, and he kind of came on uh, a little later in the year, started slow. Those first three weeks were not so great um, statistically. But getting Derrick Henry back will be huge for the Tennessee Titans, who are somehow still in the top seed in the AFC. Even without Derrick Henry, which goes, which speaks volumes about Mike Vrabel and what they have done. He's made himself quite the coach of the year candidate. I, I completely agree with you. And there, there are some other ones that are really good out there, but Vrabel's got to be, be mentioned among them, no doubt about it. And also, if the Colts do meet them again, Joe, I've got to think that Derrick Henry is going to be running with like a man on a mission. All this attention been paid to Jonathan Taylor all year. Everybody talking about Jonathan Taylor, the MVP candidate. Jonathan Taylor, the best running back in football. If Derrick Henry gets a chance to go one-on-one with him, obviously they're not running against each other, and that's what quarterbacks always say in those matchups. But he's going to have something to prove in that game, that he is the king. And he hurt his foot against the Colts. He so did for indeed. him to come back and then they face each other in the playoffs – uh, I would love to see the Colts face the Titans again in the playoffs because I think round three, I think the Colts could get them. I think uh, the Titans are a very good team, um, but I think these two teams, the way they're both playing right now, they both want to play football the same way. So it'd be a fun matchup to watch just two rushing teams going at it. 
announced uh, this week the Ursay family is donating more than $600,000 to Riley Hospital for Children as part of its Kicking the Stigma campaign. The donation will go toward expanding Riley's Be Happy program, uh, which allows the hospital to hire psychologists uh, for their hotline. So that's awesome. Another uh, great great showing from the Ursay family to literally put their money where their mouth is and uh, keep expanding this Kicking the Stigma campaign, which has seen quite a bit of uh, pub this year, whether it's on, on Hard Knocks or uh, through Kenny Moore being Walter Payton Man of the Year with what he's done, whatever it's been. Um, the, uh, the Kicking the Stigma campaign continues to, to receive the attention it's due and uh, also with kids here in the, uh, the Be Happy program with Riley Hospital for Children. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jim Ursay and the Ursay family will be known for owners of the Indianapolis Colts, but if they keep this up, I mean, they're going to have such a legacy as real. I hate pioneer is not the right word, but really advocates of mental health. I mean, earlier this year, they made a multi-million dollar donation to IU um, for mental health research funding. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on about uh, the funds they have put towards mental health. So they're, they're really not just talking about it. They're putting investments in so that we can grow as a society uh, in terms of mental health. And I briefly mentioned Hard Knocks, a new episode this week, but uh, Joe, obviously not the, the same excitement in this episode we've seen in the past couple episodes as the Colts could not get that win over the Raiders. Yeah, it's, you know, it, the episodes where they win are always more enjoyable, <laughs> at least to, as a Colts fan. Right, yeah. Um, there was kind of that point uh, during the episode where the Colts were lethargic in practice and Frank Wright had to call him up and then Darius Leonard um, kind of, called out the guys uh, during a Zoom meeting and said, that that shouldn't happen, fellas. We shouldn't even need the coaches to call, call us up and do that. Uh, there were some few really funny moments. I love Brian Baker's daughters during the game. I mean, when their conversation of which position would you play if you were a man <laughs> in football was hilarious to me. And then um, the most telling thing football-wise to me was that Sam Ellinger is the backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. There was – kind of a mystery earlier in the year of who's the backup quarterback. It was Eason until it was Hunley, and then Eason's gone. And so how much do we trust that Ellinger is really the backup? This show that Ellinger is the backup. If something happened to Wentz, it's not an Ellinger or Hunley thing. It's Ellinger. Um, and so hopefully he'll be ready to go if anything happens to Carson. Philip Rivers not mentioned in this show either, and that was at least a, a talking point. And Frank Reich was asked that last week about Rivers. He said he called Philip at some time. That did not make the cut. And uh, if, he, if even the, uh, the HBO NFL Films cameras caught it, I do have a feeling that Frank Reich would, would not want that to, to be on the air anyway. And the Colts do have some, some power in terms of what goes, in, goes in and gets uh, left on the cutting room floor of that show. So, um, so, so that's also at least worth mentioning. But, but yeah, you're right. Uh, a, a vote of confidence right now for Sam. And uh, as a rookie, as a sixth-round pick, uh, is it, it you, you're always intrigued, of course, Joe, by by the backup quarterback. Everyone, he's the most most loved person in the community. Your backup quarterback, often until he gets in and plays. So uh, you hope that Sam can deliver if he's called on, but also you don't want him to be called on right now. At the well, same time. yeah, hopefully he won't have to hit the playing field this year. But if he does, he got some valuable reps with the first yep. team during this past week. So uh, he won't just all of a sudden be doing it as the number one QB for the first time, which I think is something that could benefit him. Let's get to the injury report this week as the Colts get set to take on the Jaguars. A one o'clock kick if you're watching in central Indiana. It's broadcast on CBS4. On Wednesday, the Colts had four players who did not participate in practice. Those were DeForest Buckner with a knee injury, Xavier Rhodes with a hamstring injury who got knocked out of last week's game with that. 
Linebacker EJ Speed, a hip injury, and guard Chris Reed listed as illness. Um, full participants at practice were uh, offensive tackle Eric Fisher with his shoulder, toe, and knee injuries. That's big. It is. Great to see him back. Wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. with a rib injury. Tight end Mo Alley-Cox with a knee injury. And safety George Odom with a calf injury. Great to see George, of course. We mentioned him earlier with uh, as a full participant, even with a slight calf injury there, because, I mean, geez, if Sandejo's not playing, you, you really want him, uh, you really want Odom in there. After that, you get Jaleel Adai, I think, would be your next safety in the group. Adai, Josh Jones has Josh played. Jones in there, yeah. I think Adai played against, um, yeah. against the Cardinals. And I remember, because I tweeted about it. I was like, he had a heck of a game against the Cardinals because, again, you never see him chasing someone down from three yards behind down the field, and the Cardinals have some guys who can beat you deep. So um, so even though there's guys that the Colts have seen have success behind uh, behind Odom and behind Sendejo, you, you don't want to go to them all the time over and over again, for sure. Yeah, I think the two headlines here are obviously Eric Fisher with the full yep. participant looks like he should be on track to return, which is great news for the Colts. Even though Matt Pryor played well, I thought so too. I yeah. think Eric Fisher is still a notch ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just got to keep an eye on DeForest Buckner. Hopefully, this is more maintenance related than anything. You're late in the season. A lot of guys are banged up at this point. I mean, Pittman with the ribs. I know he took a shot uh, at the one yard line against the Raiders. Yep. Um, I'm not saying that's where it came from, but that's where it could have come from. And then Mo Alleycox, I mean, with his knee, I know both him and Jack Doyle are kind of banged up at this time of year. Thankfully, Jack's not on the injury report, but those tight ends are important in the offense. So just got to monitor this stuff. But overall, at this point in the season, pretty positive injury report. And we will monitor it as well on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow us there, get updated with Colts and Jaguars injury news throughout the rest of this week. Uh, as for the Jaguars, they have several key players that were added to IR since the last matchup with the Colts, including running back James Robinson, running back Carlos Hyde, running back Jamal Agnew. So that's a slew of uh, ball carries there and starting safety Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, so they're down a couple more people. Uh, a few of those had uh, significant roles against the Colts. I believe Agnew had a good touchdown run against them, if I remember correctly. Um, Dan Arnold was activated from their COVID list on Wednesday, designated return from IR on December 22nd. We'll have to monitor his practice participation this week. Um, Robinson, Agnew, and Arnold. There it is. I just need to keep reading on, on the rundown. You'll have it. <laughs> those three accounted for 203 yards and two touchdowns against the Colts in the last meeting, more than 59% of the Jaguars' yards and 70% of the Jaguars' points. So well done. We're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Those are three their three biggest playmakers. I mean, Robinson might be the best player on the team. Yep. Um, very good running back. I know there was an outcry earlier this year when uh, former coach Urban Meyer was not utilizing him uh, to his fullest. So it's huge that the Colts won't have to face him. They won't have to face Agnew, who ripped off that 66-yard touchdown right. run. Uh, and then Arnold, you know, the Colts have struggled at times against tight ends this year. So without Arnold, their athletic tight end, um, we'll see if he plays or not. But th- those are really Lawrence's top weapons. In an offense where they're already down several people, DJ Chark has been on IR for most of the year. He did not play in the Colts' first meeting. So... This is a team who, at the beginning of the year, looked like they had some weapons, and now, not so much. Did not participate in Wednesday's practice for the Jaguars. Linebacker Miles Jack with a knee. He's a heck of a playmaker, but it has to be noted that Jack has routinely been on the injury report for several weeks, but has been playing on Sundays as well. Tight end James O'Shaughnessy with a hip injury, who missed last week with the Pats. Again, another tight end. The more tight ends that can go down, I think if you're the Colts, the better. They get, get to the third, fourth, fifth string. Uh, ju- just because of what's happened in the past. 
Um, wide receiver Marvin Jones did not participate in practice, just a rest day. Linebacker Damian Wilson did not practice, just a rest day for him. Limited participant for the Jaguars in practice, linebacker Dakota Allen with a shoulder injury. Full participant, running back Ryquell Armstead with a knee injury. And again, we'll keep you updated as the week goes on on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow us there. You can follow Joe at Roto Street Joe. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Roto Street, fantasy sports expertise advice. Joe, did you win any of your fantasy leagues this year? I did. I won my most important league by... Um, did you have Najee Jamar Chase? Oh, Najee. last yes. touchdown oh. in the final minute. I was losing, and then he... But I, I was done. You know, I was already congratulating the other guy. Uh, I was upset. My wife was trying to console me. And then Najee Harris popped off that touchdown in the last minute there that the Steelers really did not need. And uh, but I needed it. Yeah, that, that's what matters. That's to all me. that matters. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm still uh, uh, texting our commissioner about where when I'm going to get my championship trophy for real and my my winnings here Let's but get it uh, now come ex- on exactly but i at very least have bragging rights for the time being congratulations to you you can follow me at dave g underscore sports mike chapel as i mentioned before at m chapel 51 and follow his uh colts writings on fox59.com or cbs4indy.com the colts are nine and seven they visit the jaguars who sit at two and 14 on the air colts are currently the sixth seed in the afc playoffs and will clinch a playoff spot at, uh, with a win in Jacksonville, or tie, or a Chargers loss and a Baltimore and Pittsburgh tie, or a Chargers loss, a Pittsburgh loss to Baltimore, and a Miami win. Who's Miami playing? Are they playing the Jets? It's either the Jets, the Patriots, or the Bills. They <coughs> are me. playing the Patriots. The Patriots. Okay. That would be a tough win. Uh, for them on the last week of the season. So the Patriots, Colts just need to win, basically. Exactly. Forget everything else. And, and, and Joe, that's been unlike years in the past, where Colts have needed a win plus this, or a win plus that, uh, in order to make the playoffs. And this, this, is, this is very simple. You win, you're in the playoffs. So that's what they've got in their plate. That's what's in front of them. But they have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. I was saying this on the air yesterday as uh, in my sports cast. I looked it up. In 2014... Carson Wentz was still at North Dakota State, and Trevor Lawrence was a freshman in high school. Oh, man. So it was a long time ago. I wonder if he still had the locks. Right? He might have. Sunshine! (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Down in Cartersville, Georgia, working his way to being the number one overall recruit. Uh, But he didn't, like, he never lost. Uh, I don't think he played as a freshman in high school, but even in high school, that kid didn't lose. So this year has been completely different for him. Uh, you wonder how he's handled it. And, and it looks like he's handled it just fine. Like, he still does his interviews. He doesn't look... Seems like a mature kid. He does. Yeah, completely. So, I mean, I think the the tell, uh, the, the story of Trevor Lawrence, it's it's not over. I think it's it's really... It's been dealt a really different chapter than he's had in the past. So, I, I, I'm not sitting here and ruling out Trevor Lawrence being a really good quarterback down the line. I don't think Colts fans can relax right now, you know, is what I'm saying. Saying, well, the Jaguars got another bad one, so they're into another five-year cycle here. It's not a Blake Bortles situation. No, I don't think so. And heck, even Blake Bortles beat the Colts three times here in this string of six losses. Three Blake Bortles losses, Joe. Two Gardner Minshew losses. Do you know who the last quarterback was who started a game in Jacksonville that the Colts lost? Was it Matt Barkley? It was not Matt Barkley. No, it was not. Luke? I think it was 2018. I believe it was 28. It uh, was, because uh, it was the case, year that... Case, case, case. Not case, but it does begin with a C. 
His first name is be- and his second name begins with a K. So there's like two. Sk- he played at USC, didn't he? He did. You are correct. Uh, oh, you've got him. It is. Oh, you got him. Who is it? Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler. That's yep. who it was. Yep. Cody Kessler, quarterback the Jaguars to a win back in 2018. Uh, that was the year the Colts went on that huge run, of course, uh, in 2018, winning like six to nothing. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it was a horrible game. Horrible game. Uh, and but Cody Kessler got the W. And uh, the Colts took the loss. But anyway, no need to no need to focus too much on that. But the thing is, Joe, like every year you feel like, oh, there's a reason that there's no way this is going to happen again. Th- th- there's no way this is going to happen again. The start of last year, you know, the first game of the season, first game in the Philip Rivers era, uh, the Colts had uh, a lot of expectations. The Jaguars, they, everyone thought they were going to lose every game. It was going to be tank for Tua. And then they win that game. And then they proceed to lose 15 straight for the rest of the year. They go 1-15 and 15 on the year and get, uh, and get Trevor Lawrence. Tank for Trevor, I should say. Uh, tank for, yeah. yeah, tank for and, and, but But it was, it was stunning. Like So many of these losses have been so stunning. Like the 2018 one that comes up when Cody Kessler is their quarterback and the Colts are on this crazy run, doing really well from their 1-5 start, making their way toward the eventual playoffs. But they lose to the Jaguars in that string somehow, some way, in Jacksonville, 6 to nothing. All this to say that as much confidence as you have on the, in this game by the numbers, I have zero confidence just in my heart, in my soul, if I am a Colts fan going into this game, strictly because of the recent events of the past seemingly have been swung in your favor if you just look at it by the numbers on paper. But then at the final whistle, you've been going home disappointed. Well, and I'd, I'd have a lot more confidence if the Colts had blown the Jaguars out earlier this year. But they only won, what, 23 to 17, I believe. So, uh, and it, you know, took a strip sack on the Jaguars' final drive. They were driving down the field. They, they could have won that game. So this is definitely not a gimme. Uh, on paper, it looks like a gimme. But the Colts have to go down there in the streak, streak, handle their business, and do what they need to do. I I think they will. Um, Spoiler alert on the predictions. I think they will, but I definitely don't feel confident about it, and it's a game that I will be watching nervously. Jacksonville has now lost eight straight games, and I believe that since the win over Buffalo, maybe it was was the win over Buffalo right before the Colts win. Yeah, so the Colts' loss started their eight-game losing streak. All right, and their most recent loss uh, was a 50-10 route at the hands of the New England Patriots just last week. Some uh, disru- disgruntled Jaguars fans plan to wear clown costumes in the game. It's a clown out. Clown out, as they're calling it on social media. In, a K. in Duval County, uh, trying to express displeasure to owner Shad Khan and maybe uh, persuade him to fire uh, the GM down there to go along with firing uh, Urban Meyer, who's already well out the door. So... Uh, so Colts fans can be upset somewhat that uh, that things aren't uh, maybe aren't as rosy as sometimes they were in the Manning years when you're winning 11 and 12 games a season. But Joe, it could always be worse. It could be so much worse. You could be a Jags fan, a Lions fan, a Browns fan, a Jets fan. I mean, the Colts have four losing seasons since 1999. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty I, I will. Good. If you're going to roll the dice, roll the wheel on what fan you're going to be of which NFL team, and it lands on the Colts, that's pretty good because you're winning more games than you're losing most years over the past 20-plus years. So I, I think at the end of the day, we got to be grateful to be Colts fans. I first thought when I heard the clown out was a thing, I thought they were all honoring T.Y. Hilton for his clown costume <laughs> when he was going into Tennessee that one. I'm not in Houston that one year, but... 
But nevertheless, uh, no. That would be nice to see a good game from T.Y. I would love to see He should have had a bigger game last week. He got lucky to get the one catch he had. Let me tell you about and that. And he got that unlucky was... on that wide open pass. That too. missed him. <laughs> Boy, yeah. Like, th- those were two, two less than great passes from Carson Wentz. One he got lucky and one he did not. So uh, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. Let's get to this game. Jacksonville, uh, they're players to watch. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, as I mentioned, he's had a pretty tough rookie season. Ten touchdown passes to 17 interceptions. Those 17 picks are the most in the NFL. And you can point to the fact, Joe, that Peyton Manning had a bunch of picks his, his rookie year, too, and say, well, that's not necessarily a sign that things are bad, but Peyton also had a good number of touchdown passes, too. He had 20-plus touchdowns and 20-plus picks that first year. Um, the, the touchdowns have not been there for Lawrence. And I think, like you said, really hit the nail on the head. It looked at the beginning of the year like they were going to have some weapons. They've had people get knocked out left and right. Travis Etienne, the rookie before the season, they thought that he was going to be a big part of their offense. He's out. Um, DJ Chark has been on injured reserve, uh, who had a heck of a year last year for them. Uh, I think he was he a rookie last year. I don't know if he was a rookie, but no, he was, I know he's young. I think Chark's going to be a free agent. I think this was his fourth oh, year. Oh, really? Okay. It was a couple years ago, he had the really big year with a okay. thousand yards. Yeah, maybe it was two years ago that he had that big year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he, he might be a free agent this year. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about the Colts signing him yeah, there in the yeah, offseason. Let's talk about that. Wouldn't be mad at that. No, but yeah, but anyway, yeah, Lawrence, the touchdown passes just really haven't been there. I know the weapons haven't been great, but, you know, th- there's worse weaponry in the NFL or at least there was at some points in the year I mean you you look at what uh, Jared Goff was throwing to with the Lions earlier in the year and he was at least throwing touchdown passes Uh, Trevor Lawrence's 10 touchdown passes is the second fewest by a rookie quarterback who started 16 games ever Uh, Mm -hmm. the fewest was another AFC South quarterback David Carr who had nine way back in the day he's probably sacked uh, 87 times that year too or whatever probably didn't have time to throw Poor That's David Carr. He, he, he looks happy now, though. He's a nice uh, uh, broadcaster analyst and does a good job. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, I think he's having a better time now than he did. A slightly better time. A uh, slightly less dangerous time just uh, sitting on the set somewhere. Uh, over Lawrence's last nine games, he has two touchdowns. That's it. Two touchdowns in nine games. So his first seven games, he actually had uh, eight touchdowns. He was doing at least better. First game, he threw three. Yeah, exactly. What about that? He comes out of the gate, boom, 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 and then boom. It just blows up on a different type of boom, not a good boom. In honor of John Madden, may he rest in peace. And our, our certainly thoughts and prayers with his family, for sure. We talked about that last week, of course, uh, uh, leading into the Raiders game, too. But uh, the, the boom in honor of John Madden. Uh, my first, the first video game I remember playing was Madden 95 for the Sega, or at least the, the first game I remember on the Sega, because I had a Nintendo before that. But anyway... Uh, quick, quick, quick detour. We're back. Uh, Lawrence can make plays with his legs too, Joe. He has 317 rushing yards this year, two touchdowns. Uh, he had five runs for 33 yards against the Colts uh, back in Week 10. So he's a guy again that you you want to keep keep in the coffin, as they say. Just force him in, stay in the pocket. Don't let him escape because he can do some damage with his legs. And as we've said before on the show, I'll repeat it again because it continues to to have some weight that. Running quarterbacks have been able to damage the Colts' defense in the past. I think they've done better at that recently, for sure. But early in the season, when they had some of their struggles, was when running quarterbacks were beating them. It seems like maybe they've turned some things around, but you don't want to revert back to what was hurting you earlier in the year. Yeah, I know Tannehill really killed them earlier in the year. And then since they've done better, they did a lot better against Josh Allen. They did a lot better against Kyler Murray. So hopefully that's a lesson that this defensive unit has learned. Um, but it bears repeating that the Colts can't let this guy get out of the pocket, pick up 
you hate to call them cheap first downs, but pick up first downs with his legs and then at the same time allow his uh, pass catchers to kind of ad-lib and just break off their routes yep. and find the open space because if if they keep everything on script, the Colts have a much better football team and should win. Jaguars offense, uh, we'll get to that. In, well, uh, Marvin Jones is their top weapon on offense, we'll say. And really, as you point out here, the last one standing. Yeah. You are completely right. Uh, he has 66 catches for 744 yards and three touchdowns this year. Uh, Marvin Jones is a guy, if you sleep on him, he can have really big games. Like he, He's done that the past three or four years when he was in Detroit. Like He just has one game where he blows up. He gets like 12 catches for 200 yards and three touchdowns, it seems like. He has that potential in him, even though it hasn't really flashed as much this year. Yeah, I think he signed a two-year deal with the Jaguars, but Marvin Jones is a guy who can still do some damage, and heck, if he became the Colts' number two wide receiver next year, I think it'd be an upgrade. I think it would be an upgrade, too. And I think that says more about the Colts' wide receiving core than it does about uh, Marvin Jones. Like, I like Marvin Jones, but... He's a solid player. He's been better. I mean, he's he's getting up there in age. Yes. he wouldn't play for the Colts anyway. He only plays for cat teams like the Bengals and the Lions and the, and the Jaguars. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Edge rusher Josh Allen is their top pass rusher. Uh, he has five and a half sacks, but hasn't had a sack since week nine. And uh, he he owned uh, Bill's Josh Allen that one yeah. week. And AFC so, player of the week. Yep. Defensive so, player. So it's been eight weeks without a sack for for Josh Allen, which is which you don't expect out of your out of your top pass rusher. Um, yeah, the top yeah. 10 pick. I think he had 10 or 11 sacks as a rookie. He kind so. of fell off last year. And halfway through this year, you thought, okay, he's getting back on track and yep. he's showing that talent. Five and a half sacks midway through the year. He's on pace for that double-digit sack total, which I think most pass rushers or at least edge pass rushers kind of look for. Um, but he's really fallen off since then. But still a guy with a lot of athleticism that the Colts have to keep an eye on. The Jags' offense is bad. Uh, it it is very bad. They are last in the NFL in points scored, averaging barely two touchdowns, scored a game, 14 points, which is just atrocious. They have the sixth fewest yards in the league. They're bottom 10 in both passing and rushing. They have the most turnovers in the NFL with 29. Uh, Joe, this is a a unit that the Colts defense uh, as well has been playing in recent weeks. I think last week against the the Raiders, I'm not going to say they were bad by any stretch. They had, they gave up a couple big plays, Overall, they played pretty well, I think, in that game. You, of course, don't want to see the big plays. You can chalk that up to little mistakes here and there from everybody, it seemed like, uh, on the team. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, what I'm saying is I don't want to single out the Colts' defense last week, I don't think, as, 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 as a reason they lost the game. I think the mistakes were everywhere last week, from the quarterback to the defensive line to the secondary to the special teams units, like there, to the coaching staff. There was blame everywhere to go around. But, uh, but the defense, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to single them out. So um, it, w- w- it's a long way of saying they should do better this weekend against the Jaguars than they did against the Raiders, you would think. You would think. Absolutely. I think they're going to come out really motivated to do better and really make a statement, kind of like they did in the Houston game where they shut out Houston. Yep. I'm not predicting another shutout. But just kind of one of those games where they kind of get right, feel good about themselves again, and just make a statement, said, yeah, this is who we are. We're a good defense, and we can just really stomp a team. And you really need that going into the playoffs. That would certainly help because the team, if you make it, the team you're playing next week is going to be a lot better. There's a good chance it's going to be either Kansas City or uh, Cincinnati or Buffalo again. Uh, one of those teams, I think, because Buffalo's playing. Um, is, but Buffalo's on top of the uh, division now, and the Patriots are the wild card. Right? Or is it the other way around? Currently. I think it is. 
but but, but anyway, that could flip this week. Exactly, it could. Yeah, you're right. But but the Bills the Bills are playing the Jets, uh, and then the Patriots are playing the Dolphins. So I'm good, I'm basically going to give the Bills the win. So I think if they're winning, leading the division now, I saw a stat by the way. It was a crazy stat. Somebody posted this to Twitter. I, I wish I knew who it was, but it was if every one score game in the NFL this year got flipped around and the other team won, what would everybody's record be? I thought it was really an interesting thing just to show like teams that have either done well or done poorly in one score games. Like the Steelers, who are, what are they, like eight and seven? They would have been like three and 12 or something if like one score games had gone the other way. So they've won a bunch of close games, props to them. On the other side, the Bills would be 15 and one if every one score game flipped the opposite way. So they've beaten teams badly when they've won. But they have not lost, like the close games they have lost, they've only lost close games except to the Colts. That was just, not a close exactly, game. Exactly. That's the one right there. That's the first thing I thought of. That's the one. And I think the Colts would have been like 11 and 5 or something like that if one score games had flipped the other way. They would have had just a couple more uh, games that they would have won than they would have lost. So I, I, it, was, it was a weird stack because I've never seen anyone do it before, but I thought it was really interesting just to show how. Uh, how one-score games are going uh, in, in the league this year. Well, and so many games are decided by just one score. Totally. I mean, there's so many close yes. games in the NFL. The the margin of difference, once you get to the NFL, there's so much talent that the margin of difference between teams is a lot of times so minimal that so many games come down to one score. Um, so just finding ways to win those close games is, is massively important. I remember way back the Colts, the year the Colts finally – won the Super Bowl. In years past, they would just blow so many teams out. The year they finally won the Super Bowl, during the year, they kind of struggled with teams more. They would find a way to win, but they weren't the blowouts that they normally would be. And I think that really helped them going into the playoffs because they knew how to win close games. They didn't get flustered when they weren't up by 14 points in the third quarter or second quarter or whatever it was. So that just goes to show how, how... Slim a margin there is in the NFL. And I mentioned the Jaguars with the most turnovers in the NFL on offense with 29. The Colts are up there, I think, second right now in the NFL in takeaways. It's 30-plus right now. It, I think it would take seven or eight to get to 40, their goal on the season, uh, which I don't think is going to happen against the Jaguars. Spoiler alert. If it was going to happen against anybody, it, it might would be happen the against the Jaguars, you would think. But, uh, but uh, nevertheless, they're, they're prime for a couple this week, I think, uh, down in Jacksonville. You would think. Again, on paper. We're, we're talking about on paper. And as I said earlier, on paper just hasn't panned out in Jacksonville, but but how else can we analyze the game right now? That, that's that's what we have. Yeah, Colts currently about. tied with Dallas, 33 takeaways. All right, so. for the lead, for the most? Yep. Okay, there you go. So seven more, big number seven. You got to get basically two, uh, two a quarter. I think Darius Leonard uh, would think it's possible. So Very least you want to come out with that number one. I mean, that's, yeah, right. that's a pretty nice thing to hang over, your hat Over on. Dallas, for sure. You want to be number one. If you, if you can't get 40, at least be number one. Uh, the Jaguars' defense is not much better than the offense. It's certainly been the better unit throughout this year, and it's been the one that has at times performed very well. You look back to that Bills game where they won 9-6, to absolutely shut down Josh Allen, played exceptionally. Uh, so you, you look at them, and you know they have some, some talent there, some ability there. We talked about Josh Allen, uh, defensive Josh Allen, in there. They've given up, though, the second-most points in the NFL, averaging nearly 28 points allowed per game, which is double what their offense has scored. You look at that, so that's not a good ratio. Uh, their second-fewest sacks in the league, so they don't get after the quarterback too much. 
They have the fewest takeaways with seven, which is almost half <laughs> of the second worst team in takeaways, which is the Raiders with 13. That is staggering, Joe. Whenever you see a big difference like that, that, yeah, that makes your eyes pop in the NFL in the league, where, as you mentioned, things are so close often from week to week between teams. Whenever there's a big difference stat-wise like that, that's got to draw your attention. The Jaguars just don't take the ball away. No, they really don't. They don't have a lot of playmakers on that defense. Uh, I mean, you think a Miles Jack is a pretty good player, but he's not a guy who really comes up with a lot of picks or fumbles. Josh, I mean, when you don't get to the quarterback, it's hard to get takeaways. Um, and so I think those two things kind of go hand in hand a little bit. The Colts just need to handle their business this week. There was another stat, again, that I saw. I'm a rabbit trailing here for a second, but it was another one of those crazy huge stats. I was looking at touchdown-interception ratio because I was trying to see where Carson Wentz ranks uh, in the NFL this year, and he's definitely top five in that. He's 26 touchdowns to six interceptions, which is great, having a really good year protecting the ball. Whatever you think about Carson Wentz, you can definitely say that the the broken turnover machine uh, – whatever idea or narrative uh, coming out of Philadelphia in the offseason. That was wrong, 100% yeah. wrong. Um, you, can, you can criticize him in other ways. I'm not saying he's immune from criticism, but I am saying that that is not who he is by far. I would say it's fair to say he's not broken. Maybe he's just not finished being fixed or yes. tuned up. Okay, you know, that's he, fair. He hasn't completely got to that level where, you know, he It's he not a well-oiled machine right now, week exactly. after week. And there sure. are reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons for that. And hopefully going into next year, we can expect an even better version of Carson Wentz. Um, but no, I would think based on what he was in 2020, Colts fans have to be pleased with what he's been in 2021. And anyway, I, the point I was making about the um, the touchdown-interception ratio, like Carson Wentz is really good. I think he's third in the league in touchdown-interception ratio. Number one in the league is Aaron Rodgers, and he's like 35-5 and five is what he is, So that's which is very good. And uh, the stat was like within the last 10 or 12 weeks, the, the second-best player had like a four- four touchdown to one interception ratio and Aaron Rodgers was 16 to one touchdown to interception ratio which he does this every year Joe if you look at his stats year to year it's like 40 touchdowns and four interceptions it's ludicrous what he does so differently and, and sometimes it looks like he's just back there slinging it like he takes three steps and just chucks it in a weird way and it somehow finds Devontae Adams down the field it, it, it points to Aaron Rodgers greatness in that area even though Carson Wentz has had a very good year uh, in this area very good year you think it's, he's about to win his second MVP in a row? Well, not if uh, Hub, whatever his name is, has anything to say about <laughs> it. But uh, that, that, that's been something this week. My goodness. Which, which again, like, I'll, I'll share my quick thoughts on that. Like, it, I, I don't think being a jerk has anything to do with being an MVP. Like, if you think someone's a jerk and you're not going to vote for them, that tells me more about you than it tells me about the person who's the football player. And it, you're, you're just letting a personal bias really get in your way of analyzing the ability of this football player. So yeah, I, it just kind of showed a little bit of unprofessionalism. I thought so, too. And, and But I don't know this guy, Hub, <laughs> just like he doesn't know Aaron Rodgers, as Aaron said out. So uh, <laughs> Aaron called him a bum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, a bum, an absolute bum. So and anyway. Um, I, I, and, and I'm sure that I'll have moments that I'm unprofessional again, and I'll get called out, and hopefully I will, because I, I, I'm not trying to rake this guy over the coals. Uh, it, it just came on. Yeah, exactly. It's a bad moment. I don't think that his MVP vote should be taken away from him or anything like that. I, I just think it was a bad moment for him, and you move on from it. While we're on the topic, I did kind of like Mike's uh, Twitter rant last night about how Indianapolis market does not have an MVP vote. Right. I think it's ridiculous that not every market in the NFL gets at least one vote for the MVP. That yep. doesn't seem to make any sense to me, but yep. 
uh, you know, hopefully that's something that'll be fixed in the future. And one of his main arguments was the year that Peyton shared it with Steve McNair, yeah. who had a heck of a year, let's be honest, but Nashville had a vote, Indianapolis did not. So there's the swing right there to, mm -hmm. to make it a tie instead of a solo Peyton Manning it's, MVP award. It's just blatantly not fair no. in a league that's supposed to be about fairness. You have 50, I think, people voting. So there should be one from each market, 32, which would give you, I guess, two in New York or whatever, two in L.A., one from the Chargers, one from the Rams, one from the Giants, one from the Jets, you know. But then after that, you have 18 more that you can divvy up. The 18 is a good number for, for national media. Like you, you don't need to give it to everybody. And even if you want to expand it to 60, like get, get 28 or have it 64. So there's like 32 from teams and 32 national people. That's fine. But, but you're right. I, and Chap is right. You really do need to have somebody representing every team, very much more like it is for the, uh, the Hall of Fame voting. That There yeah. are people out there from every team who present these people for recognition every year. There, there, there needs to be that that balance. I think that that each team gets somebody in there who has a say for their team that is able to at least make an argument uh, for for a guy that maybe doesn't get quite as much national spotlight or really champion a guy like a Jonathan Taylor who's meant so much to the Colts this year as just kind of an idea as an example. Yeah, and I think Taylor's. You know, I ask about the MVP to kind of bring up, I think, Taylor's MVP uh, hype has kind of quieted down recently. It seems like everyone's anointing Rodgers. It would take a week, it would take a final game reminiscent of last year's final game against the Jaguars where he ran for 250 yards to really get him back into that, mm -hmm. uh, into that conversation. Or not conversation, but give him back a, a, a decent chance. Um, I think he needs, like, 280 rushing yards to crack 2,000. There you so that's, go. that's not looking very likely. No, probably but not. It's possible. You never he, know. He's, he's gotten 250 before. So. Well, let's get to the keys to the game on that note. It's a good transition because, number one, just run the ball. Run, baby, run. The Patriots ran for 181 and four touchdowns against the Jags last week. JT had 116 and one touchdown on 21 carries in these two teams' first meeting this year. If Jonathan Taylor doesn't get 20 carries again this week, Colts are malpractice uh, should should be uh, should be sued for malpractice. Get him the ball, make him run, make him run often. Last week, the first time all year, Joe, that Jonathan Taylor hit 100 yards rushing and the Colts didn't win a game. First time in his career, in fact, in two years. I, I, I'm not shying away from it. It's a stat that I can no longer use as an exclusive stat. It was a nice one while it lasted. It was. It was a great one while it lasted. As I was saying every week, Colts are nine and four. Colts are nine and six. You know, I mean, or, or nine and zero, oh, and then zero oh and six, or whatever it was. So. Uh, unfortunately, can't say it anymore, but nevertheless, like you said, it's, it's the number one key and it should be your number one key every week. You're a running team. That is your, that is your DNA. Run the ball. Yeah, and even, you know, that Jaguars game was closer than I felt like it should have been, and I, in a close game, I think Jonathan Taylor should get more than 21 carries. Carson Wentz threw the ball 34 times. Um, it just unless the Colts are up like two scores in the fourth quarter and the game is in hand, just keep feeding Jonathan Taylor the ball. I understand if the game is put away, rest Jonathan Taylor for the playoffs. I'm it, fine with that. Yes. Yeah. But uh, until you're at that point, just keep feeding him because like we saw in the Patriots games and so many games earlier in the year. If you just keep giving him the ball, he's eventually going to break one. And we'll say this also about Jonathan Taylor. It has been a record-chasing season and a record-breaking season for him. Uh, now the single-season Colts record holder for yards uh, rushing, for touchdowns scored. And with 18 touchdowns, he is just too shy. Um, 18 rushing touchdowns, he is too shy 
um, of becoming the 12th player in NFL history with 20 in a season. The last to do so was Ladanian Tomlinson back in 2006. That's a long time, Joe, 15 years to go between. It speaks more to uh, what, what running backs do now. Since you hate running backs, maybe you can speak more to this, as you know. But, uh, but, but on a serious note, L- LT was what well, LT 2006 was godly as a running back. And to have Jonathan Taylor in today's NFL be able to match a mark that he set would be a heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, LT ran for 28 in 2006, <sighs> and I think he caught four. I think his re- that's the NFL record yeah. is 32 yeah. touchdowns in one season. So He's not uh, going to get 28, no, but... No, but if you get to 20, that's a pretty darn good mark, and I yeah. think two touchdowns is very much within the realm of possibility. And uh, I mean, t- this is just an incredible season for Jonathan Taylor. I think last week he became the youngest player to have 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 20 touchdowns in a year. Um, So this would just kind of add to his remarkable season. Our second key to the game, Wentz needs to be efficient. I'm going to add to this, Wentz needs to be dynamic, I think, from time to time. And we we talked with him this week and also after the the Raiders game uh, about just the lack of that dynamic offensive attack. Um, I think that's really been the big thing that's that's missing from the Colts in recent weeks. Um, They've had a good running game in recent weeks, even without it, but... They have not been able to hit a downfield player or two to really stretch out the defense. Uh, we've seen Ashton Doolin uh, make those plays. And you can say the T.Y. Hilton play was kind of like that this past week. I think that was really more of a fluke play. He got lucky. He did. He did get very they lucky. easily could have just been an interception. Very much so. could have been a touchdown. Yes. But like you, you haven't seen them go deep quite as much, and even some more. That that also opens up intermediate stuff, too. You can't like You say it opens up the run game, and I agree. It also opens up the intermediate passing game. And... Um, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to rake Carson over the coals here. You, you get those games that you had last week. Um, you also get the games you had the week before in Arizona where he made three clutch throws on that final drive to seal the win for them. The one to T.Y. on the near sideline, the one to, um, I believe it was Pittman on the far sideline, and then the one to Patman uh, in the end zone for the touchdown. Those were all good 15, 20 yards down the field, if not more than that throws. And they, they I mean, they weren't there last week. So, like, you, you can say that, yeah, the, the Colts right now are not attacking down the field as much uh, now as they were earlier in the season. You can point to things absolutely like yards per attempt, as I believe you did here somewhere. I can't say. Yeah, you've got it here, so you, I'll, I'll let you read it. But um, they were doing that more earlier in the year. They haven't been doing it lately. You can point to Wentz for some blame. You can point to receivers for some blame. You can point to co- coaches for some blame. Absolutely, there's enough to go around. But you, you, we need to see a little bit more of a dynamic attack. You mentioned efficiency. Absolutely, I agree with that. But I'm going to add dynamic in there, too, as kind of adding to your key to the game here, Joe. Yeah, I mean, Wentz has been under six yards per attempt in two of the last three games. I remember a couple years ago we were really hammering on um, – um, Brissett yeah. for his low right. yards per attempt average. Um, I think, Frank, the number he said was, what, seven or seven and a half yeah. that you want to be up above? Yep. Um, and so Wentz the last couple of weeks has just not really been getting it done. And, you know, I do expect him to play better this week because it's hard as a quarterback to come back from – he's far from the only player we've seen come back from COVID and not play <clears throat> right. up to expectation, especially at quarterback where practice reps mean so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Wentz will play a little better. They need him to play a little better because if all the offense is is Jonathan Taylor, I mean, the Jaguars can just stack the box and – you can only get so many Patriots games where it's just all Taylor. Let's not allow any big plays either. Uh, that's our final key to the game. Uh, make Lawrence and the Jags drive the length of the field. And, and I, I could not agree more with you on this one, Joe, because they can't drive the length of the field over and over. 
So, so don't let them get deep on you. Uh, if you're the safeties, keep them in front of you. Being a safety in the NFL is very easy. I say that very much tongue-in-cheek because <laughs> everyone on, on this show who's listened to the show religiously knows my opinion on safeties and how much I love watching them because I grew up in Philadelphia watching Brian Dawkins. But uh, it, 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 there's part of that job that is very easy. If you're in the back, don't let anyone behind you, for crying out loud. And, and in this case, yeah. trust everyone in front of you to do their job. Like, there's part of the safety that's, that's trusting everyone else and there's part of it that's very much being focused on your job, uh, it can be very easy to think you see something because you see everything back there as a safety, or you should. So it can be tempting to make a break on a ball that you think is coming, that in reality it doesn't, and then you get, get beat deep. So it's a, it's a position that shows people who are um, not smart at football and do things that they think is right instead of things they've been coached to do, T.J. Green, and it also, on the other <laughs> side of things, shows people who are really smart, I think, at football and shows who, uh, who can be disciplined. And I think Kari Willis is a great example of that, who, who plays for the Colts right now. And other guys like you see guys who are, who are dynamic, guys like Troy Polamalu or Bob Sanders over the years, who, 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 who really teeter on that line of, um, of, of dynamic play and scary play. And those are the guys, like I said, watching Brian Dawkins for years was really fun to watch because he would be in that, in that same vein. Like he would be making plays up near the line of scrimmage, Philadelphia, Jim Johnson, rest his soul. And, uh, the defensive coordinator would send him on blitzes. They were always crazy fun to watch just seeing him, him play. So, so like I've said, safety play is a whole lot of fun. Um, all that to say a long way of saying, just, just don't, just don't, don't get beat deep and, and make Jacksonville go, go slowly down the field. Because again, if that's the case, Jacksonville also has the most turnovers this year. So the more plays you give their offense, Joe, I think the more chances you get to take the ball away too. Yeah, Lawrence has turned the ball over 22 times. So just keep making him do those checkdowns time and time again. And eventually he's probably going to make a mistake and turn the ball over a couple times on you, especially with a guy like Darius Leonard roaming the middle of the field. Um, I think he's got 15 total uh, combination of interceptions, fumble recoveries, and forced fumbles, which is just mm -hmm. ridiculous. I don't think he'll win. Defensive player of the year that's probably going to T.J. Watt, but I think if there were votes, he'd get some. He better. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and you think about the last time they played, Jamal Agnew's 66-yard touchdown run really allowed the Jaguars to stay in the game. Yep. I think it was 20 to nine at halftime. If it wasn't for the run, it'd be 20 to three, and it'd really be more of a blowout. Um, and you even just look at last week, Zay Jones and Hunter Renfro beat them deep. Yep. Uh, I know Renfro. Unfortunately for the Colts was ruled down so that what, what could have been like a 40 yard touchdown was really a 20 yard pass. So it doesn't look as bad in the right. stat sheet uh, ended up hurting them more. It did. But, but really, you look at Lawrence's weapons, running backs, they got Dare Ogunbowale. Dare Ogunbowale, of course. And Raquel Armstead as the running backs. Wide Ooh. receivers, Marvin Jones, Laquan Treadwell and LaVisca Chenault. And then tight end currently, unless Dan Arnold's available to come back, Luke Farrell and Jacob Hollister. That's not a unit who's going to beat you for 12 to 10 play drives multiple times in a game. So just do your job, keep things simple, and, you know, don't have any mental mistakes that allow big play. Yeah, Kenny Moore isn't waking up in a cold sweat, you know, uh, thinking about facing these, these guys. You, no. you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. Um, FanDuel has the call. Also, Kenny Moore missed that game, I think, back in 2018, because that was during the time 
so to be fair to, to Cody right, Kessler, yeah. uh, that uh, that Kenny Moore was was on the sideline for that game. At least he wasn't a couple of those games down the stretch, uh, one or two of those years. Maybe that was the next year in 2019. I forget uh, for that loss. I think uh, that was the Brissett year where yeah. they started well. Yeah, and it was then 2019. Kenny went down yeah. and then yeah. Yeah. yeah, that one. Excuse me. Excuse me. Anyway, FanDuel has the Colts at 15 and a half point favorites in Jacksonville this week. Clearly, they do not care that the Colts have lost six straight games in Duval County. Over-under is 44. You know, if I'm a betting man, there's no way I can I can take the Colts 15 and a half just because of history. I, like, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. I don't know if I would take the under either because the Jaguars are that bad. This may be a game I completely stay away from, but I, I just could not bring myself to do 15 and a half, which means the Colts are going to win by 30, so... Well, between COVID and, you know, the final week of the year, a lot of games are going to be really tough to bet on. You're either going to make a lot of money or go broke this week uh, if you're playing around on FanDuel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Mike's taking the Colts. Mike says uh, 27 to 13 Colts, but he also adds it's probably going to be more like 17 to 10 because of recent history. But his official pick will will lock it down, uh, 27 to 13. So Colts win by 14. Just sneaking in uh, the uh, uh, taking the Jaguars there, 14 points instead of the 15 and a half. I'm also going to go 27-13 just to tick Mike. No, no, (laughs) come on, do it. No, realistically, I think 24 to 10, which might as well be 27 to 13. Um, but I think it's going to be something of that nature where the Colts win by a couple touchdowns, but it's not going to be a 50 to 10 blowout like uh, the Jaguars experienced the previous week. Throughout this entire year on the podcast, you've heard me, you've heard me very much stick to history. Like I'm not going to bet against history. It's, it's why I bet, uh, certain ways throughout the year, but I, I, I can't bring myself to say that the Colts are going to lose this game. I just can't do it in my head. I, I can see what's happened the past six years in Jacksonville. And I've been to all six, I believe, of those games. Are you going I'm, to this one? Yes, I am. Oh, man. Uh-oh, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> You're jinxing. I am. Like, maybe I've only been to five of them. I don't remember. But I typically go to Jacksonville <laughs> because... plane gets delayed. Exactly, right? Because <laughs> I go down there and I get to go to Wawa, and I enjoy my time at Wawa, and I have a good hoagie, and I, uh, I have uh, fun in the sun. Not really too much fun in the sun in Duval County, but, um, but nevertheless... I, like I said, I just can't bring myself to, to say the Jaguars are going to win this game because nothing tells me that they will, except for the fact that the Colts have lost six straight times there. So um, so I, I'm, I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with my head uh, by, by what I can understand about these two teams, and I'm going to pick the Colts. I think, I think if the Colts' defense is really ticked off, this could be more along the lines of the Houston game for them. So I'm going to pick a little bit more of a blowout. I'm going to say Colts uh, 26 to 9. A little bit okay. of a funny score in there. But I think they hold them to single digits. Uh, whether that's a touchdown and a field goal, you know, or three field goals, I don't know. But I, I don't think they're going to get double digits in this game. I think if the Colts are, are really serious on defense, which Darius Leonard is a very serious man. Excuse me. Um, I think that uh, they have some things to say to each other about how they played la- last week. And the uh, the the lackadaisical showing they had in practice, and you saw exactly what happened uh, out there against the Raiders. So uh, teams that are playoff teams don't let that happen. I think the Colts have enough leaders on this team in that locker room to make sure it does not happen again. Well, and we've kind of been talking about for weeks, you and Mike. Uh, you know, every every team kind of has that game where you go, "What was that?" And they just yep. kind of lose to a team um, that you didn't think they would. The Bucks. The Bucks almost lost to the Jets last week, and yep. they did lose to the Saints a couple weeks ago. And scored That's, zero points in that game. Yeah, I think the Colts' version of that game was last week, where they just kind of had a mental lapse, 
every game has been a must-win game for so long after they started one and four that I think they got that game out of the way last week, and that was kind of enough to get their attention back and really set their sights hone in on this game and take care of the Jaguars so they can go to the postseason. Yeah, there's two ways that it can go after that. If you have good leaders in the locker room, that, that that's, a, that's a turning point to your season to go back the other way, to say, hey, we know that it's been tough, like grinding from one and four to get here, and we slipped up last week. That can't happen. I don't care if we've been grinding and you're tired. Like, you've got to stay focused week after week. Or if you don't have those guys in the locker room, you can revert to some old bad habits. So, like I said, I really think the Colts do have the guys in the locker room to, to answer the bell. Uh, and, and to come back this week strong, I do. So that's why I'm picking them this week as the Colts travel down to Duval County to take on the Jaguars in week 18 of this NFL season. A win and they're in the playoffs. Make it as simple as that. There are other scenarios, but not going to get into them because we're, we're all picking a Colts win. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. I'm Dave Griffiths at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Mike Chapel is at MChapel51. We do appreciate you listening, and we will see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>